Just a quick warning, this podcast series contains discussions about crime, trauma, sexual abuse, drug use and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Dylan Voller, welcome to The Stick Up. Thanks for having me, bro. Listen, I was in prison, and one of my favourite shows is ABC's Four Corners program, and I seen the investigation that they had into the Dondale Boys' Home up there in Darwin, Juvenile Justice Centre, and I guess the rest of the public were just shocked at the treatment that you received there and the images of a young boy being sexually assaulted by workers there in a strip search, and then... I think that image of you sitting in a, a chair strapped with a hood mask on really struck a chord with a lot of people and I think it, it really generated a lot of anger by people. How could this happen in Australia? They look like images of Guantanamo Bay. We were in the days of terrorism, we were getting images of that and people were still shocked at that. But what people couldn't understand or imagine was this was a 15-year-old kid. Yeah, it was definitely... Shocking for a lot of people to see, even myself looking back at the pictures and looking back at the images was completely different. Looking back at it, it hit me a whole lot more harder than even being in the situation. Getting used to all that sort of treatment in there was a normal thing, like it affected me, but then having to watch the show and look back at the images, it even shocked me a whole lot more. Yeah, traumatic. I remember talking to a lawyer that that knows you pretty well. At that stage, I was nearly 23 years into a jail sentence and I said, they are creating the next me because I'd went through my own story of sexual abuse in those sort of same sort of institutions. And I just went, man, what are they? they have learnt nothing. And at the time, Julie Gillard's Royal Commission Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse was happening about a historic, a lot of the historic stuff in that life. But this here it was yeah. happening in, in that same age. Yeah, that, that I actually gave evidence into that Royal Commission as well about some incidents that happened with some police officers and on child camps and stuff like that in Alice Springs around the same sort of time in a private session with that same Royal Commission while I was locked up as well. All right, let's backtrack right now. Let's go back to your upbringing. What was your upbringing like, mate? Uh, it was... Started off being in Adelaide. My mum was adopted, so I grew up with the adopted family. I, was, I got a little bit spoiled from my great uncle and great auntie, and I preferred to stay there where my mum was an alcoholic, had her anger issues, had her own issues going through. And uh, I wouldn't say she's the best, wasn't the best mum, but she wasn't, I guess, the worst mum. Growing up, I never really was around heavy drugs, being living in Alice Springs. I moved there when I was around eight and that. And just being around Alice, there wasn't heavy drugs, there was a lot of alcohol and stuff like that, but I'd never really been exposed to heavy drugs or I seen my mum smoking bongs, stuff like that. Started, she started becoming, having her own issues, her own problems and whatnot, ended up becoming a part of the welfare system and stuff like that because I was breaking windows and just having behavioural problems that I didn't know. You know. Looking back at it now as an adult, I understood why I was behaving in the type of ways I was and stuff like that, but just at the kid, you didn't understand uh, all the stuff that you've been through is making you behave like this and like the things of looking for acceptance and wanting to fit in with other people. I was looking to the bigger, older boys on the streets to protect me and make me feel safe when I was really feeling scared. And I guess that turned into looking to the boys to protect me, to be in the little scapegoat, to go and jump in stolen cars or have, yeah, smoke this cigarette, smoke this bong, and it just led from there, going down lifestyles and choices that just really I didn't want to make, but I felt like I had no choice. I wanted to fit in, I wanted to feel accepted type of thing. And then... Went to juvenile detention, couldn't control my behaviour. My mouth was 
a bit cheeky towards officers and stuff like that. And I guess it resulted in punishments that no kid should and just made me a whole lot worse. I started becoming used to jail where in a way, to be honest, I liked it in jail. Even though I was getting bashed, I was getting sexually abused, I was getting all this sort of stuff. I, was, I felt like I was one place where I was never going to not be allowed. I was I always had that roof over me, I always had, although it wasn't safe. Although you're being sexually abused and being being sexually abused and obviously violence was perpetrated upon you, but you felt like home. Yeah, like I was getting taken. I was from in welfare, so I was getting pretty much taken off my mum at these stages and I was getting out every time I'd get bailed, I'd be in like a welfare house or a house that I just didn't want to be in even more than my mum, so I'd have to run away f- from that house and then because I ran away from that house, I'd have the police chasing me around, so I'd be running around the streets at 12 years old, staying at mates' houses, running from the police. But in them houses, was there any sort of love offered to no, you? I was actually assaulted in one of the houses as well where one of my Antoinette Carroll, a youth... Advocate worker actually had to come there at six o'clock at night because one of the workers tried to hit me with the car and tried to like assault me, so I threw a rock at the window and it smashed and they rang the police. Okay, so all of this did anyone back in them days show any love towards you? No, not that I really like the jail experiences for me started at school like at Ross Park Primary School when I was in the early ages, like eight, nine, ten and I was going there, I was behaving Appreciate that I was diagnosed with ADD and ADHD, so my behaviour and my learning patterns weren't that good in school. Mixed with the trauma, I just become disruptive and stuff like that in school. And then when I'd, I'd, I'd become abusive, or I'd swear, I'd be loud in class. They'd actually physically restrain me at Ross Park Primary School, and they'd drag me. They actually built a little room at this primary school. This is when I was eight years old. They actually built this little room, took the carpet out and stuff, and they'd physically restrain me, drag me down in this room and lock me in this room and hold the door shut until a school-based constable or my mum would come to the school and pick me up. There was times where they made me shit in that room and stuff, piss in that room, wouldn't let me out to go to the toilet and stuff like that. So I guess for me that was where it all started with the actually being restrained and locked in rooms was at primary school when I was eight years old. How did that make you feel, mate? I don't know. To be honest, everything... Still is like I still have feelings, and it's like feelings and emotions around that sort of stuff of being abused and stuff. Like it's like I try and dis- disregard my own feelings for it now. Like it's like I just try to and disassociate brush it, off. it, like desensitize you. D- yeah, is that how you? Yeah, like it? I try now. It's like I just try and tell myself that that doesn't affect me. But then I want to by myself. I catch myself slipping on slipping with the demons. But then I try and get up in the morning or the, every day and try and brush it off and act like it doesn't affect me. And I guess try and along brush those it off. lines. Was there any psychologist? seeing you and decompressing any of this, saying, mate, what's going on for you? Throughout the juvenile detention in jail, I guess the only psychologists and reports really I had was the ones where you're going to get sentenced and they ask you for a pre-sentence court report or a court or a report for your parole hearing and they're getting these people to come in and, they, you know, they do their little half-an-hour report based off their incident reports from the corrections or based from what's happening in there but not really having an understanding and they're not really there to do it an assessment to help you or a treatment plan or something like that. It's more or less to tell the courts, no, don't let him out of jail, we shouldn't let him out or things like that. Was there anyone from child safety or facts or docs or anything coming in, doing an assessment to say how what's going on, like checking on your... No, to be honest, I didn't even really get much support from my court. I actually had them on multiple occasions coming to court and saying we can't take him, leave him in jail until we got a place for him. And, like, why take me off my parents if you're not going to give me a place? And do you think they're aware that you're being assaulted? 
I think in New Orleans about it because I complained multiple times right from the age of 11, ringing the ombudsman, ringing children's commission. The ombudsman didn't do shit for years. It's the same with people like the ombudsman, the children's commissioner, how they like jump out and act like, you know. The ombudsman is just useless as an ashtray. I, I rang them multiple times. I rang them about the Derek Tarski incident when he choked me up against the wall and I told Who's them. Who's Derek Tarski? Who was so he? He's the big guy in one of the videos where I'm up against the wall and I throw the deck of cards and he comes in, goes me by the throat and puts me down the ground. I rang them about that incident and they said that, oh, there's nothing they can do. I should call the police. So I called the Actually called the, I ended up doing a statement with the police and they charged him. I actually got hours out of jail. This was when I was 16. I actually, he ended up getting charged when I was 16. I was down in Adelaide drinking and just not really worried about stuff. And they charged him. He, the magistrate's court chucked it out. Even though there was video footage of him The magistrate's court chucked it out and actually said that apparently because I've been known spit out, I deserved what I got because I was apparently I was going to spit on him or something like that, which clearly shows I wasn't going to spit. I was standing there. And then... The prosecution actually said they wanted to appeal it, so they actually appealed it and paid for me to come back down to Allison and actually jump on the ground box and give a statement against him. Right. Against the officer, and I didn't give a fuck, I didn't think twice about it. I was like, fuck it, this cunt's done all this shit. I was 16 years old, this cunt's done all this shit to There's me. a child abuser. I, go, I can go to the shop right now, be homeless, steal, steal some meat, and if I got caught doing that, I'd go to jail for at least six months, seven months, but this big guy that's... 130 kilos, I was about 45 kilos at the time and 12 years old. So that's the video footage we see on? I was, I was about 12, yeah, and I was up against the wall and they come in and they grab me and put me down on the ground, strip me naked and then that, all run out. That's sexual abuse, yeah. yeah. And so they did, they did that and then they wanted to appeal it. They appealed it. I tried to appeal it to get him convicted again and got chucked out again. But I just, How does that make you feel, mate? I thought that like, realistically, I don't know, I can't. I felt like every time I swore at them and this and that, and or I'd become abusive just because my behaviour wasn't that turn around and flog me or do this or get someone to bash me, it made me feel like that. For a long time in my life, it made me feel that the anger I had was that, that was the right way, even though I'm not a violent person, I hate anger. It made me feel like the way that they were doing to me, that that's how we're supposed to punish someone for a long time. Like that's, if someone swears, I swear at them back or punch them in the mouth and shit like that. And it's, I'm coming to a stage in my life now where I can walk down the street and if someone says, what are you doing, cocks? I can't laugh at them and walk straight past them and mm. stuff like that. Where I don't so really no, care. There, was there any decent role models or anything there that trying to show you, hey, did anyone, like, for me, when I seen mm. that, I remember contacting someone that was involved in your team at the time and I said, I could do wonders with that kid. I said, man, that kid just needs validating. That kid just needs to be loved because I've been, I was that, I was you. Yeah. When you were doing all that shit, I was you. You know, I know the way out. And the way out of that sort of stuff is not bashing out. It's just loving it. Mm. Love it. Loving the love in here and yeah. getting that. I'm dealing with the trauma. And no one reached out. Not. Yeah, I did have a few, but it was a bit later, like later in my life. Even like what you're talking about now with the role models and stuff like that and looking up to positive role models and stuff like that. It's, it's an important thing. Like even being in custody, there was times where. We'd had like the paramedic eels and stuff like that would come through and talk to us. And I, and I remember like things like that was times that when I was in custody, I like really stick with me. Like having people like Reese Robinson when he came in and Albert mm. Kelly and young blackfellas like that that are in the NRL, but they actually came out and played rugby with us and made us feel like they actually like care about us to make them feel like we're actually a part of something. Like we've got these NRL stars coming to play rugby with us, young black boys from the bush that are just locked up and stuff like that made us like all that type of stuff. Like Exhibit came into Don Dale. I think about seven, eight Exhibit years, the rapper, like, yeah, yeah, like years ago. Things like that where we, we had all these people coming in. Even it's, it's good, especially when we have other people coming in. It's, it's important for the juvenile centres to have people like yourself and Joe Williams and Jeffrey Morgan going in and having those continuous yarns, not just having not just having these ones off yarns every now and then, but these 
the detention centre should actually be employing people to come in and do these programs once a month, once a fortnight, stuff like that. There's enough people now, there's a lot of people that are coming out of the system and starting to actually want to take a change. This sort of stuff is becoming a movement, like a, a movement of what you and Jeffrey and everyone's doing now is inspiring other people to come out. Not everyone do the podcast stuff, but to change and actually want to help other young people. Some mm. people are going about quiet, but the stuff that you're doing now, other people are wanting to do it. So there's going to be enough people in every state to be able to go and do these programs. And you got the confit guys and what they're doing, yeah, Joey, what they're champion. doing, what they're doing in the prison systems and stuff like that. There's a lot of all these different avenues and people coming out of systems that can do their professional hobbies and still take it back into the custody and make a better outcome than what the custody officers are paying people to go in that have no lived experience, no experience from it, and they're not teaching nothing. And the message I, I, I say Joey's got, Joey, Joey Kwan from Confid's got, Jeff Morgan's got, Joey Williams got, is you matter. That's the message. And that's what you want to hear as a kid. You want to hear that you matter and we care about you and, and you're worthy. Yeah. And the problem, you know, I faced through what, what I was told, when we'd get sexually abused in those homes, the perpetrators would say, that'll teach you from stealing a car. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's fucking even sick, the same mate. sort of stuff. I didn't come out about my sexual abuse until I was in custody on time and I tried committing suicide and I told the counselling people and some workers in there and that kind of backfired on me and came back to the officers telling other young kids in there to tease me about this sort of stuff. Every time I'd be locked in cells, it'd be, oh, your father fucker or you've been raped, this and that, and like this sit there and listen to that and sort of stuff. And kids are cold, eh? Then so kids- like, and then the officers telling kids to say that sort of stuff and stuff like that. And then there was even stuff that I didn't bring out at the Royal Commission, like when I was 12 years old, about how the officers went and chucked me in the cell with one of the sexual, with one of the, someone that was in there with sexual assault and ended up being sexually assaulted in there. Stuff like that was a bit too too shame to come out with at the Royal Commission. Where I was just been just coming out and just started talking about it. Where it was a bit more shame. Where seeing people like yourself and Snowy and all these harder fellows that are coming out and actually being honest and talking about that sort of stuff makes people feel a bit more comfortable to be able to say like this happened and it is what it is and being able to go and do stuff for it about it. It's really important that people talk about this, and I talk about. The what we carry a, a backpack of stuff that don't belong to us, and like you can imagine, like a brick on it, shame, guilt, anger, and embarrassment, and all those sorts of things. And when we talk about this, the importance of it, and I encourage anyone that was abused or faced any abuse, whether it be physical, sexual, or mental, or emotional, talk about it. I think that's where the healing, and I think, I think. That's what's happening for you, brother. The yeah. fact that you can articulate it right there, right now, is a big part of your healing journey. Yeah, I think definitely. And I think when I first got out, I wasn't really focused on the healing and taking in and absorbing. I mean, I had some, one of the, like we both know Joe is one of the smartest and wisest fellas I know, and he told me right from the state, gave me some good advice right, from, Williams, the, yeah, right from the start that really if I would have took that in and absorbed that straight away right then and then what Joey was telling me, I would have been in a whole different situation than what I am right now where I'm still struggling and in trouble in a few different states, still going through court process, I probably would have been living away better life than I am if I would have took some of that advice in and absorbed it straight away. But sometimes it takes a bit of not learning with and a bit of learning from that sort of stuff where now I'm taking in that sort of stuff about instead of having to worry about everyone else around me and what they're doing and trying to fit in with all of them, I'm just worried about doing my own stuff. I've got my own house now, been doing part-time work, focused on my music, I've got my own did my own music videos, heaps of gigs, doing stuff like that and trying to fight for what I want my own way instead of other people putting me on. I try and break my way into having a good life and hmm. shit like that. Let's go back. After the Don, after, what was it like for you? What sort of attention did you get after the Four Corners show was released? What was the process there? Did you know it was going to where? Yes, no, it was 
they came and they like they wouldn't I couldn't do an interview because Northern Church government wouldn't let me do an yeah, interview from inside inside there. So they pretty much said they had a whole bunch of video footage and stuff and they wanted to use it and they came and then they said uh, I had to sign a piece of paper. I said they can use it yeah. as long as they like blur my private parts and stuff yeah. like that. I didn't even know I'd never seen any of the video footage myself and I guess I was telling them, I didn't know what the aim of the show was going to be or how they were going to do it. Because you what, don't know, do you? Because you don't know if they're going to be praising them for yeah. doing it or, or, or criticising yes. them for doing yes, it. So I was like telling all the boys all day, all the boys in the centre, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be on this TV show tonight. I'm going to be on this TV show tonight, stuff like that. And then I was watching it with my celly that night and I kind of just... Were you in custody, were you? Yeah, I was in custody. Was, Where were you? I was in Holt's prison, down prison, so I was 18. Yeah. And I was still in custody when it all Is came Is that the out. new prison up there? Because I was in the old one, Berrimer. Yeah, it was, in, it was in the new one. Yeah. Yeah, in the new one. Uh, I was on a three-year, three-year, eight-month sentence for for robbery in that when I was 16. Mm. And, I got and you're still meth. in there when you're 18? Yeah. yeah, I got a meth for the first time. So I got a three-year, eight-month sentence. It was supposed to be parole after 18 months, but the parole board just kept knocking me back on parole for... Stupid reasons that were not even illegible, so I ended so up. So, do you reckon that was a square up because of the four corner story? I was before they were treating me like that. Even the government was treating me like that. Even before I came out, about before the media came out, really, really like they, they just had that. I was just involved in the system for that long, and my behaviour they couldn't handle because they didn't, they weren't dealing with it in the right ways. Instead of getting someone help and getting that mental health help and dealing with it, they were trying to deal with it with force. And I guess with force only comes back force, you know, with the resilience and. With that sort of physical stuff, only some, someone, there's only two ways you're going to cope. Someone's either going to back down and be scared or someone's going to fight back. And I guess that's the type of person that I've always been. I've always been that type of person to be a bit scared and get scared at first. But once I snap, I just have enough. When I just snapped, I got sick of them pushing me around. I got sick of them bullying me. I got sick of being bullied. I got sick of feeling like I wasn't worth nothing. And that's where the spitting on them came from. The abusing them came from. It came back in a way, yeah, you're bigger than me. I might not be able to fight you one-on-one and have hands, but I'm going to spit on you because you're hurting me. Or I'm going to swear back at you and say these hurtful things because you're trying to make me feel like that. And then I got lost in that sort of way. It turned me into something that I'm not, like I'm not. I don't like saying hurtful things to guns and things. And because those people have done that to me, and now it makes me, makes me have these sort of Alerts, edges, and these things that trigger me, Coping, and, man, that's and, how you and, cope. and it affects my day every on an yeah. everyday basis. You'd have the same thing where these little things would still affect your day on an everyday basis because of these things that these people have gone and done, like that. That every day on edge of just you hear footsteps behind you, having to look over to see if it's an officer running up behind your back, or every time you hear those keys dangling, you're like looking around. Even though the little things, like I wake up pretty much every day, and first thing I think I'm still in my cell, and I have to open, I have to get up and do something like. That makes me feel like I'm free. Walk out the door and have a breath of fresh air, or right, get up and have a shower. Like I just have to do something that makes me feel like I'm not there anymore, and make it feel like I'm, I'm free. Let's talk about the Four Corner story gets released. Yeah. How long after the Four Corner story did you get out of jail? Yeah, so it was still a while. I was in there for a couple of months. Pro kept knocking me back, kept knocking me back, and then O'Brien's solicitors was like, let's try and appeal your sentence. So this Sweet was a judicial review. Yeah, or so this was Peter did it three years after myself. I was actually already in there for three years and it was like 18. Pretty big, pretty big sentence, three years for an 18, like a 16-year-old to carry into 18. Yeah, so actually it was my first time on meth and was just driving around and someone saw it, my mate jumped out and hit him and their wallet was on the ground, grabbed it, took off and I got caught for it. Mm. Shout out to the older boys that used to take me out doing shit, and then they gave me up as a 16-year-old kid, and they were all 18. Yeah, they, they all got nine months, and I got three years, and it's supposed to be the boys that took me out and started getting me into all that sort of jumping in Is the Is that the beginning cars. for you to start seeing through the bullshit? 
With those sort of blokes? Yeah, I did three. Like, I did three years and, like, I've seen guys, I've seen full-grown gangster cones that think they're hard, go to jail and get 12, year, 12 months and start crying because they're thinking, like, at a kid, I didn't, like, that. Was, I got two years when I was 12, you know what I mean? That was three years. Was nothing. Two years I did when 20, 12, I did 20, like 10 years now. I did, 22, I did 22 months straight when I was just over 12, 12 years old. So the mm. three years, like that time, yeah, when I was twelve, mm. and I was sitting in court, and they were saying you get six months here, twelve months here in community, and I wasn't, I wasn't understanding. I was like, "Fuck, this sounds like I'm getting twenty years in court." And then I looked at my lawyer, and she said, "How long?" And she, I said, "How long did I get?" She said, "22 months." And I was twelve. Fuck, my mum was. This is the only time she was in the court. I fuck, I started looking around, bawling my eyes out. I didn't know what, where I'm mm. going. Twenty-two months takes so. it out of you. There's a big hole that's when they hand out. I was just, I don't want to post this morning about. Uh, my biggest sentence, which was 15 years, and I remember getting that, and I was like, even I had five years to go after sentencing, and man, it takes up an hour. It's a different thing. So when you get out of release, when you get released from the jail, was that you? Obviously, a lot of yeah. media outlets wanted to talk to you, and a lot of people yeah, wanted was, to get into your. That would have been overwhelming. Yeah, it was definitely a different shock. It was hard. It was something I wasn't used to. I was a really, especially growing up. I was a real shame person. I couldn't even get up in group sessions and say my name didn't involve this and that and talk. And it was something that I, don't, I, would, I probably wasn't. I don't. In fact, I look back at it now, I wasn't ready for all that media attention. I wasn't ready to be speaking the way I was. I should have been focused. They should have been the media being adults and being people should have had the respect to let someone mentally come out of that sort of situation and heal before coming to these organisations that wanted to be paying for me to or try and push me in front of a camera should have been instead of trying to flash money in front of my face to go and speak in front of these things. They should have been like, Let's how about we pay for some counselling for you and nothing and stuff like that. There was none of that. It was there was all this, oh well we'll give you a couple hundred bucks if you fly to Sydney and come to this university and do this for us while we put out a GoFundMe thing and put out these donation tins out the front and act like it's for you, but we take all your money, you take all this money and act like we're doing all these things. I just realised that there was a lot of the groups, the bigger groups and the bigger organisations and stuff like that, I was trying to get rid of things. They were all you, like a bunch of using people and the, and the people that were actually just reaching out individually. They were, there was the actual genuine support and the genuine help. Mm. People like Joe, you reached out to me years ago and helped me out when I was I going. did too. I said from the word go, I told people, I said I could help them and I was getting told he's got really good people around yeah. him. He's got... <laughs> it wasn't about, we ended up having that sort of situation a couple of years ago when you ended up helping me out when you seen I was struggling on Instagram and ended up putting me in contact with the people that I ended up helping put a roof over my head, gave, giving me a job and cleaning me up and getting me off, off fucking mm. bash and like just getting me off the sort of straight and got off the straight and off the shit life and onto a straight and narrow. And I remember telling you, I said, I, I, I only shout out to Matty Floyd yeah. and Pinky's Gym and, and I remember saying it, I said, Dylan, I can get you, I can, I can get you a start, yeah. I can get you. I said, don't fuck these people over. Yeah. I said, you'll end up in the boot of the car. Yeah. And you, yeah, Matty was very happy with you. Yeah, hands down. That was probably the start. To be honest, shout out to Matty, definitely. That was probably the starting point of where I actually am now compared to four years ago was to shout the, some of the morals and points that Matty installed into me like working at his gym and instead of just saying oh, I'm going to help you I'll buy your feet I'll give you this I'll give you that it'd be like yeah brother clean clean up around the gym clean up this and that and I'll give you 50 bucks or I'll help you I'll pay you something I'll go and buy you some gym clothes and he bought me like some nice gym clothes so I could train and stuff like that and it'd just get me to work it off at the gym or yeah. put the towels in the wash or wipe down some gym equipment helped me out when I was going through no, no job no nothing got me nice gym clothes and got me into the gym got me going down and playing football into like actual team environments me I was going down with Maddie and all the boys from the gym was going down on a Saturday and just going down and playing footy and running muck on the footy field and 
Like just that's was that of, your first male decent male role model? You reckon? Yeah, I'd, I'd say definitely. Like they actually pulled me under his wing and actually treated me like. And he like moved his, into his home. Yeah, like a little brother, like my own. Big brother isn't even there for me on that sort of level, isn't even there for me, never has been. Or when I've gone to look for that big brother, I would just want to even just want to just hang back with him and go and be like, yeah, i got a cool big brother. I want to go hang out with my big brother's never been like that. So when Matty would take me out and take me to footy or take me out and let me be around his family and go out and have dinner or go to the gym and train or even he's always hit me up and been like, yeah, but yeah, bro, you should come down to my, my fights. i got a fight soon. And I'd be like, Shit, bro, I can't. I've been. I can't go to that state. I can't go. I'm like, fuck. I wish I could, but and it's like. So that's why my main goal now is like just to, even like what Maddie's been telling me too, is hurry up and get all your shit sorted ev- everywhere so that you can just start living your life. And that's my goals is to establish myself in Sydney now, where I've got comfortable, I've got support, I've got a house now. But I slowly also want to fix all that shit up in those other states so that I can travel. I want to be able to travel. Like, just... what do you? But like with that, <clears throat> I, I get it. You get. Someone like Maddie Floyd comes in your life and offers you some structure, no. some validation, obviously some love and some care, and you shine. No. And you feel a part of, and it, you know, this, it's part of it allows you to heal. And sometimes, mate, it is that fucking simple. Yeah. It was definitely, it was even the simple things of what he instilled in me that was making me feel better about myself that instead of being a lazy, I'm normally a lazy bloke, I'll sit around in my house and not do, not do anything because I've got nothing to do. I'll just go out with the boys and get drunk. I'll go out and just, just smoke bongs and shit like that where he'd be like, get up and get up at 8 o'clock, we're going straight to the gym, we're going to be running on the treadmill mm-hmm. and then we're going to go do like this, those things. And I was actually, that was the actual first taste of me actually going to the gym and doing a bit of exercise that I ever, ever got. I'd normally... Never worked out in jail, never trained in jail. Every time they had the Marines come in and try and force us to do exercise, I looked and they were yelling at us, trying to bark orders. I looked at the Marine and told him to fuck himself. I'm not mm. doing no workout just because you're going to bark it. Mm. I didn't like it, but having a brother that was genuinely, let's, let's go in and do some exercise. And it was just mm. about that connection of having a yarn while you're having a run on the treadmill and just having a bit of a talk shit and feeling good after it. It was mad. It was, mm. And now, even taking those sort of st- uh, skills and, and like those sort of things, I've been starting to go back to the gym slowly on and off here in Sydney and even looking at trying to get into boxing again and stuff like that. Yeah, it's important. It's important for kids. We're looking at the moment, Dylan, as your old hometown, Alice Springs, has got a real big problem with youth crime. What's the answer out there, mate? Yeah, shout out to the followers out there at the moment. They've actually got a mad boxing program that they have started doing out there. I've, I've seen the mad work that they're doing down there at the boxing gym and stuff like that. So the stuff that they're doing... Do you think even, that'll make a difference, the boxing gym? Yeah, I think it is. And I've actually been looking at the posts and watching what they've doing. I have seen, been seeing a lot of difference in the young black fellas there with boxing. Like boxing's never really been the biggest thing in in Alice Springs and stuff like that, but seeing the amount of boys that Shannon Oldhouse and Jason Lord and all the boys are getting down there, like a few of the boys... Like Jason Lord? Yeah, Josiah Bensiris, one of the boys that I was real close with and that I still am and grew up with in Don, with pretty much in Dondale and was in the tear gas and stuff like that. He's just gotten out and he's going good. He's fucking training hard down there, going to the gym and going to help, even helping down there with other young fellas and giving back to the other young people. So they've got that that relationship there at the think, gym. Do you think doing. more programs like boxing programs will make a difference? Yeah, definitely. I definitely think that, especially for young people, there's so much talent with young people, but it goes to waste that I think more programs, sport programs, music programs, stuff like that to give opportunity to take the opportunity of street life away is more important yeah. than what they're investing money into that, new jails. Because in your time there, there wouldn't have been many options, would it? No, we used to have things like Blue Light Disco and shit like that, like where all us kids would rock up, even though it was a police-run disco, it would all rock up from 
six o'clock to nine o'clock and go there and with the lights flashing and think we're at a nightclub party, you know, 12 year old, 13 year old, and then get dropped off on the bus. They take all that sort of stuff away and then it relieves everyone's kids are walking the street to hang around the pubs because that's where everyone's partying and they're making it look like it's fun for everyone. Dylan, when you're on the streets in Alice Springs in particular, were there any kids from that were from really loving family homes? All mum and dad were involved in their lives and, and you looked at them and you thought, fuck, I'd like that. Was there any of the other kids running around from you or was it all just kids from dysfunctional homes? All kids from dysfunctional homes, to be honest. Like you get that one, to be honest, in Alice Springs, I've seen it a couple of times where you get that one white fella kid that comes in and wants to hang around with the black fellas then they might have a wealthy mum or a wealthy dad or a nice house and this and that. But still, it doesn't mean that they don't have things going on at home. And they might have everything nice, but they were trying to... No kid's going to leave everything nice and want to come and hang around. No. The kids haven't do that for nothing. They've all, so still, they've all still got their sort of shit going on. For sure. Home, but it's mostly people that have nothing. This function. It's mostly all those fellas that are coming from escaping mum's family, violence the at home, drinking at home to... Go and do it ourselves. Realistically, is what I'm, what I've seen in myself is we escaped all that drinking, that that shit stuff, and then we tried taking away, taking off from it to go and make decisions that we thought were smart because we're leaving those decisions, but we're ending up getting getting into more trouble walking around town or drinking at a young age in town and stuff like that. I never seen anyone in jail that was, you know, from those kids like you know that had that perfect lifestyle where mum and dad were involved in swimming, little athletics, sporting groups, you know, and that kid was loved and validated. I, I just, mate, maybe one now and then, but you never seen them. The general consensus was the the general thing was the kids were from some sort of trauma, intergenerational trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Dylan, so let's talk about what's happening. So you would have been a big target for the police after that. The four corners. Yeah, definitely. And I still find myself there. I still am. I go to, I've been to pretty much every state in Australia now, and I've found that I've been arrested in pretty much every single state, and they're all for shit charges. It's not like I'm going out selling drugs on the corner. I'm not going out stabbing guns. I'm not going out looking for or doing something that I know is intentionally getting me into trouble. I'm like, WA, I went out, I got drunk, I was catching a train back, and transit guards started being smart because of who I was. I, yeah, I pissed on a train track. And then they asked me for my name and I went to, to take one step. They put me in a headlock, like a headlock, and I just started swinging and I left and they did me for GBH and shit like that. Like, charges like that, drinking in public. I went, my mom, I own CCOs and that now. Like, four years ago, I went out to my mom, I was a bad alcoholic. I went into a bottle shop, grabbed some alcohol and ran out and put a knife to myself and said, leave me alone and ran out. Like, and there was a bit of media coverage on it. It was an armed robbery or something, didn't it? Was it? Yeah, they said it was a robbery, but it's not what happened. It was mm. just stealing, shoplifting. That's what I ended up getting. So I ended up pleading to in the district court. They had me on two and a half, two and a, bail for two and a half years, not allowed to leave the house unless I was with these people or that person, strict, strict conditions of this and that. To go to a district court and the judge to pretty much laugh at me like, what's he doing? What's he doing here for a charge that was four years ago and he hasn't had, he hasn't been to jail since then. He doesn't drink anymore. Just give him a two-year CCO. No conditions, just a report to corrections. Like, also, the Channel Nine def- was it Channel Nine defamation? Yeah, there was a few of them. There was Sunday morning, I think Rupert Talk Fairfax and yeah, you had. So, what was the thing they wrote an adverse? They wrote they did a couple of different stories about me, and then people in the community shout out to whoever they was if they're watching. They started commenting and saying shit. I was a rapist. I was in jail for sexually assaulting people, twelve-year-old kids. I bashed an old man because he didn't bring lollies for me and stuff like that. And when I first got out of jail, 
everyone was making me think, oh, you're in the spotlight now. You can't comment back. You can't say anything back to these people. So I was having to sit there listening to watch, watching all these people say all this shit, just getting heard about it, not saying anything back, not defending myself. I took it to O'Brien solicitors and they said, oh, we might not be able to, and this has never been done before. But, yeah, we ended up going to courts and high courts and whatnot. You won it in the high court, eh? You won it in the high court and sued the media companies responsible for what people were commenting in their comments section. Mm. And, yeah, one didn't really get my fair share of the money, but... Mm. But you successfully... It must have but felt... for me, it's not even about the money. I don't care. The lawyers can have all the money. But for me, it's the fact that now I've just set, I've set precedences that... When people like Elijah Dowdy that got run over in Kalgoorlie years ago and got murdered from someone, and then all these people were commenting on there and saying, "Oh, if he didn't steal the motorbike, he wouldn't have got killed. If he didn't this, he didn't that." Are they rats like all people? those people now, they can't. Now the media are responsible for making sure that cunts can't comment on shit like that and can't say shit like that mm. or saying, "Oh, this person." If say if people, other people like us that are getting out of jail and trying to actually jump up and change shit and if we go and do a news interview and you always have these people in the left that have their say oh this, if he was in jail if he was in like you wouldn't even they don't even they don't even know they don't even know from the one second they think that because the media said that this and that they think that they know the whole history of what you are of what you are or what this and that or for example they'll think that because you've robbed banks that you're this violent hard person that yeah you might be going in to get your money out of banks but it doesn't mean you're going around just bashing some random person or trying to violently attack these people and that people but they think mm. because you've because you might go into a bank where you know it's a business and you're not going in there to actually hurt someone you're just trying to scare someone but like you've I've watched one of your you said that when you look back at it like you realize now that you went in there and even though you in your mind you wasn't going in there to hurt anyone but the, the fear would have hurt them long term yeah. it's like things like that they make you look like you're someone that would go out and kill people and this and that and hurt people violently and then because of those little things and they just portray things of how they want so that's where I'm like fuck them I can't let them do that I can't go to the boss and media and be like what are you saying about me so I'm like I just have to do it this way and sat through it for three years and I guess now it's how did that feel though Dylan when you got a win against these fucking let's label on what they are haters they're haters yeah how does it feel when you get that win? Did you, did you, was it an empowering feeling to take some of your power back? It felt good to to win in a sense where, to be honest, it especially felt good because I, I got into UNSW a couple of years ago. The pre law study law, yeah, pre law program at Neurogilly, and I actually walked out because we started doing some civil stuff in the in the classroom, and they was talking about a case similar to mine in America, and they were saying that it's probably not possible and it wasn't going to um, win. And I said, oh, yeah. I said to the teacher, I said, yeah, I've got a case like that in the um, courts at the moment. I'm trying to do it. And he said, oh, yeah, good luck to you, mate. you got no chance and this and that. And pretty much said that I've got no chance at winning. It's tech, the media is in the right and this and that. And after that mixed with him saying the wrong history about when Captain Cook come to Australia, and she, I was like, fuck this, I can't do it. Mm. I can't. If you're teaching me the wrong shit of what's, what's the point of being here and if you're telling me that, as a lawyer, that I shouldn't fight for this and that I don't have a chance, then you pretty much understand that that's wrong. So I walked out and a couple of months later, I actually won it and then won it in the high court. So I actually rang the UNSW back. I was trying to find out which one it was and I was going to say who won just to be a, just to be a smart ass. But it's good that it's precedent. But what I don't get is the Australian government hates me. The government hates me. The Prime Minister probably hates me. In general, the system hates mm. me. I think Malcolm Turnbull at the time was the one who he was the prime minister at the time, and he ordered that Dondale Royal yeah, Commission. Yeah, ended up ordering it the next day after watching, mm. after watching it. But look, the system hates me. They don't want to see me do anything good, but yet they can use things that I had to sit through for three years and shit like that and, and all these things to now put into law books to teach people to become lawyers, you know what mm. I mean? So, like, they can use me and the system can use me to, to be a pretty much be a guinea pig and set 
set new rules and precedents in the system to now teach all these other people to become lawyers to make money. Yeah. It's like, I just don't get how they, how they can do that. Tell, try and tell me as a person that I'm not good enough and that they just want to keep on targeting me with police and targeting me with these things, but then try and use me as saying my story and what I've been through is good and they can validate my story when they want and use me and my stories when they want, but they don't want to validate the truths of my story to put the injustices like they can use that sort of stuff to show what justice is for the system. Well, they should be using the same sort of story to put the justices on for these officers that sexually abused me, assaulted me and stuff like that. Yeah, put yeah, put strategies in you know, place they wanna, to make they sure it take, doesn't happen. They want to take the media things out. but what let's, let's talk about... The Dondale findings, mate, yeah. they would have been hurtful. Yeah, it's fucked. So basically the Royal Commission, the Dondale Royal Commission that come about as a result of the four killer story, it was ordered by Malcolm Tur- Turnbull, basically found that there was nothing to see here, no. even though it was revealed of – I think the only place that could have happened was in the fucking NT. Yeah, that's it. And I think that, to be honest, I think the money that they put into the Royal Commission, like a hundred, I think it was like $170 million dollars. Or something like that, seventy mm. million dollars for whatever it was like that money. Instead of having a royal commission, that then nothing even happens. Even when the findings was like, even they knew. They, I'm pretty sure they recommended a couple of charges for people like Ben Callagher and stuff like that. But still, the police didn't follow through. Then what's the point of having a royal commission? What's the point of the Australian taxpayers wasting all that money to have no outcome at the end of it? It was just yeah. stupid. Yeah, I thought so too. I just. When I was seeing it going down, I was like, I just thought nothing. Any other state in Australia might have got a result with that. Mm. Might have got a result with that Royal Commission. But it was just the way they were showing footage of what was happening to you kids. The I think human rights about segregation, I think in 1972 or 74, made a ruling that was inhumane. I knew that Royal Commission was pointless the day when they were sucking. The, they wanted to, so when I gave my evidence and I had to do my... I was still in custody and I still did it. And I, said, I told them, I said, I don't care. I can, I'll let them cross-examine me. I told my lawyers, I said, Peter, let them cross-examine if they, because he said they would probably want to cross-examine you, but we'll get you. So you, don't, you can't be cross-examined. I said, I don't care if they want to cross-examine me. I know for a fact that I'm jumping up on that stand. Telling the truth. With facts, with video surveillance that I can't lie. If I lie, then that video surveillance is going to show that I'm fucking lying. I can't lie. All these things that I've gone and told the Royal Commission about, it's all backed up. Once I told my evidence, and then they, they were trying to put in the media that like, he was he doesn't want to be cross-examined. This is not topic. I said, let him cross-examine me. So they ended up getting me back for cross-examining a couple of weeks later when I was out, or a couple of months later when I was out on video call, on the video. And I swear to God, they didn't ask me one question about any of the incidents. They didn't, nothing. All the, all the only things that they asked me is, did you ever throw cups of urine on officers? Yeah. Did you ever spit on officers? I said, yeah, I did. And when you did a statement when you were 12 years old to the police, did you over-exaggerate about how much force was used? And I said, yeah, I was scared. I did, yeah. Like, the only things that they were trying to do was paint me to be a liar. Mm. Not ask about any of the serious situations about what's supposed to be trying to solve these problems that we have. But they were trying to paint me as a liar. Like, why are you trying to paint me as a liar when you can't get out of three men walking in my cell trying to cover a camera trying to bash me you can't get out of a man stripping me naked and choking me you can't there's no nothing's lying like that's facts no. and all they were trying to do is make out like I was over exaggerating the line and then a hundred and something more people come forward saying that sort of different by similar sort of abuses yeah. was coming forward supported your claims and, and I think I don't know what I saw on, on the cameras. I think that equates to child abuse and sexual abuse especially the strip search stuff mm-hmm. and what all was Troubles me in these scenarios is that we're meant to have child safety. Yeah. We're meant to, and they're meant to be an organisation that 
you know, it protects children and they've done nothing for you. Yeah, pretty much. I was taken off my mum because apparently I wasn't safe there or my mum wasn't a good mum, which, she, no offence, she wasn't the best mum, but she probably would have done a whole better job than welfare. Welfare used to literally rock up the court and say, leave him in there, we don't have a place to take him to bail to. So, so welfare, the protection system, took me away from my family because I wasn't having the best life and then put me into a life that ended up exploding into a whole lot more of, yeah, I've never broken into houses. I've never done that sort of stuff. I've never like much my, my trauma as a child. I knew I had trauma, but I didn't know what trauma was. Yeah, so, like so. I didn't want. I knew that I didn't want to hurt no other kids. I didn't want to hurt. I didn't want to put fear into other people. I didn't want to think. So when other other boys would be breaking into houses and getting the keys and stuff, I'd be standing around the corner just waiting for them to come out. And then when they get the car, I'd jump in the car with them and, and go and I'd, mm. I'd drive. I'd be the driver. And once they got the car, but I wouldn't go into that. So the shops. I've been into a couple of shops and you know, IJs to get some food and stuff out like that. But that robbery charge when I did that three years was the most serious I've ever done, like jumping out, assaulting someone and grabbing their money. And mm. I went straight to court and I fucking pled guilty. Like I said, I was 16 years old. I said, yeah, I did that. I took that. I pled guilty, took a sentence on the chin. Mm. Like, it is what it is. And Tell me this. What do you know? Obviously, you've been, and, and I, I'll talk a little bit about mine, but what do you know about trauma? What does trauma do to you? Like, I, I don't fully understand it, but I'm slowly getting a sort of outlook on it and, like, I guess the effects and stuff that it's done for me. Like, for me, one thing I've noticed is my things, like, things with relationships, I don't know how to keep us, I don't know how to keep the same. I feel like I can't have a sort of relationship the same as what a normal person does. I feel like mm. it's all these trust things. As soon as I get into a relationship and I'm uncomfortable and something that I feel like isn't supposed to be happening, it scares me or I feel like, uh, like there's trust things. Like even with relationships, mates, partners, everything, it always has those those type of relationships feels different than what it should be because if I, I just had all those... You know, like the sexual abuse and stuff like that. Those mm. people coming in and taking your vulnerability away and making you feel like you just can't trust anyone or trust anyone else. So like those trauma, like I really get those trauma effects with like where I feel like that's why I'm trying to more now at the moment focus on myself and loving myself because I've always never really loved myself and I've always given off that energy of about trying to please everyone around me and trying to make sure everyone else is okay instead of making sure I'm okay. And I find, to be honest, I feel like wow. that's a, I feel like that is one of the biggest... That's a big I breakthrough, though. Dylan. I feel like that's one of the biggest effects that my trauma has had on me is that's made me feel so scared that I've never loved myself, that I've always looked for other people to try and like, love me and play and make me feel happy. So like now, like getting my own house and shit and just getting out of a bad relationship has given me this time where I've just been, yeah, it's been lonely, like, staying at my house, but that self-company of looking at myself and trying to see my own self-worth in myself has been the, the most important thing, but it's also been a thing that I feel with my trauma has held me back for the longest, is not yeah. seeing anything in myself, being too shame. Letting, like, always, even, like, when I've been making music and stuff like that, it would be, instead of being like, fuck, I love this song that I've made, I like, yeah, I'm liking this song, this is the song. It's always me going, I could finish recording a song and I'll take it to one of the other brothers and that's the rappers and stuff like that. i like, what do you reckon, bro? What do you reckon? And like, now it's, I don't give a fuck what they say. I don't give a fuck what he thinks. I don't give a fuck what he thinks. If I like this, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm trying to get to that point of the thing where I've always just been stuck about what other people... Self, I think for me, for my own trauma, as what I realised was getting that self-worth, self-belief and self-love, when I rec when I acknowledge I'm getting some of that, I'll realise that I'm, I'm fucking healing. Yeah, def definitely. And I feel it and it feels fucking good and I want more of it and I take steps to do that. And I think for you and I both, we, we've struggled to have boundaries with people in the past. Yeah. How important are boundaries in your life with people? 
Yeah, definitely. I think this is a big thing, to be honest. People like you and Jeffrey have really taught me, especially Jeffrey. I've been talking heaps with him over the last couple of months since we went to footy training and stuff like that. And he got me out of, I think he realised going through a bit of a shit stuff on shit time. At the time, he reached out to me and said, come on, let's go footy training. And I ended up going footy training and just messaged me all the time saying, just remember, don't worry about any other kind. Don't do this. Just invest in yourself, love yourself, get up in the morning, have a coffee, go to the gym. Have a shower, spray yourself with some nice spray, make sure you're looking after yourself, make sure you're feeling good. Get, Don't sit around doing nothing, you know, put a schedule in what you're doing through the mm-hmm. day. All those things that he's like putting myself to put. In, so I'm not always just putting all this energy into everybody else and wasting my time, you know what I mean? That's how he's pretty much put it is you're wasting so much time and things that you could be, instead of sitting around like being broke and not having no job, you could be putting that time into looking for a job, getting a job so that you're not sitting around, sitting around broke and not doing nothing. You could be looking at that time writing mm. a resume that you're sitting there wasting talking shit to that person that's not going to put the same energy into you. If if you were sitting there feeling shit, that person's not going to come around and sit around and be like, hey, what are you doing, bro? You just want to yarn and have a chat the same way you do for that person. So it's just like all those things of just putting myself first before these other people. Yeah. And if there's no brothers that are like not going to put through the same shit for, like I'd do for them, which I know I'd Not many do. Which I know I'd do a whole heap for fucking a whole bunch of brothers, but then when it turns around and I think so, I realise that the brothers that I want to surround myself, the people that I want to be around, and if they aren't a supportive person, if they're not want the, wanting the same sort of shit as me now, I kind of realise I don't want to be around them. Good deal. Whether, That's whether, so whether cool. they're lucky or not, there's brothers that will always still be brothers. I will always still love them, but I just don't want them around me because they're just bringing me down, and that's not what I'm going to have. Same. There's people that I've just had to say, man, I, I love you, I don't, but I don't love what you bring to my life. Yeah, always, always have that respect for you. I'll never talk bad about you. I'll never think, but I just I don't want that shit around me. I don't want to be having mm. every kind of looking at me thinking because they on drugs and they all partying that I'm fucking on this shit again and I'm doing that because they all want to do that or because they're going a certain way and and doing this and doing that that I'm around that like I just said I can't no more like I've always it's just too much and I'm trying to make sake of myself and I really do if I have to be honest I know that with my type of rap there's not much room for it in the Aussie rap scene like they don't like to hear real talk and, and shit they like to hear this gangster stuff but if I have to be honest I've, I've, I believe I've got a text I'm going to break into the scene and show them that like it's not all about talking about stabbing cunts and selling shit like I'm, I'm, I rap in my tracks like in one of the tracks it's about like Real talk, I ain't about the trap. I, I beat, I was, I had a drug habit and I beat that shit, something like that. And like, I want to talk about, instead of fucking, I've never been a trapper. I can't sell drugs to save my shit, but I've turned into a fucking habit where I didn't even know how much I was buying, how much I was using, how much I was thinking because I was that much given a habit. Like, I want to talk about how I beat those habits and fucking did shit. Like, that's the other young people can be like hearing that shit, not fucking, oh, I'm selling this, I'm selling that, this, that. I want other cunts to look up to me and be like, I resonate. If I can get, 50 people or one person to resonate with my music and be like, fuck that fella. Let's talk about, let's talk about, let's talk about how you got into rap and because it's a big part of your life and it's a big part of what you do and it's, and I think you've got a really good creative outlet right now that can take, that can be a part of your healing as well. Yeah, it's definitely a really big part of my healing. I found that, like I said earlier in this interview, I used to be a really unconfident, shame person that like, you know, in jail or whatever rehab sessions and you got to get up in front of the boys with like in a group of 10 and you're doing group sessions and you got to get up and say name. I'd be like, one of those boys that would step like, my name's Devon, sit back down real quick and put my head away and just not be ashamed. But I started, I made a little song when I was 12 years old, just at one of the youth centers, just for a bit of fun. And it was mad, it was a little bit of fun. I didn't want to take anything serious, but my big sister's always been a singer and music. Your and sister's I've, got an angelic voice. Yeah, and I've liked, I've just liked music and stuff because me and my sister growing up, she was my rock, she was like my mum, my sister, everything all in one. She was 
when I was scared as a kid and trauma, I didn't want to tell her about everything that was going on, but I turned to her and she really liked the one. But then when she started growing up, getting her and things went her own way, that's when I felt, to be honest, my whole life felt kind of a part. It's when my sister grew up and became an adult, got had kids, had a boyfriend and stuff like that, and I was still the kid, and I was like, oh, I've lost my big sister, I've lost everything, and in a way, that's that was a big thing. So I turned to music. I was up in um, Casarina Prison, locked up in Perth. Western Australia. I was locked up in Perth, and Opto... I met Scotty Griffiths, Opto from Downside. I met him a couple of years before at an event and I seen that he was doing a hip-hop program in Kazza. So I was like, fuck, I'm going to put my name down. And he just come in and said, hey, how you doing, bro? And you remember me? And he's because we worked and he can't. I said, you know me? And that. So he was like, yeah, all good, bro. I was just doing workshops and that. But he said, like, when you get out, if you're going to stay out of trouble and that, come around home and do some sessions with you and make some music and shit. So I went around and I made a song and then he made, like, Trauma. I used some shit of Andrew Bolt talking shit about me and did a little mm. kind of diss, some slight diss on him. It was just fun. Like, I was just fun. I wasn't like, I don't want to be famous. I don't want, didn't want to blow up. I was just having fun hanging out with a good brother that's supporting me and encouraging me to do good. And I was feeling that love of someone wanting me to do good. And I was just like, fuck it. I just want to come back. I know I'm not the best rapper, but I'm having fun doing this. I was just having fun. And he made another beat. And I was like, yeah, I freestyled a verse to And it was my song, Always Was. And I made that. And then he was just messaged me a couple of weeks later. And it was like, I got Fluent MC and Yaza coming over there, coming to do it, make one of some of their songs and stuff. And they were like good enough established already in Perth and Aboriginal fellas that were doing good in the music scene and good fellas. And I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, I, I want to come see them and meet them and see their music and that. Mm. So I went over there and they were making their song Catch Me and that. And then I'm just, I just, I was like, Opto, when they finished their song, can, we, can I play mine and like show them? And I was just trying to be cheeky to see if I can get these mad rappers to try and jump on my track and I played it to them. And then Fluent was like, fuck, bro, that's mad. I'll jump on that. I love your lyrics. I love what you're talking about and shit like that. And took my number. He messaged me the next day. He said, bro, I already wrote in a verse for it. We got that down, wrote that. And then I ended up getting locked up in custody again in Perth. And then he did a music video and dropped and for me and that while I was in custody and put my little thing shout out over the phone. And I put the video out. And that's got, I think, almost 20,000 views on YouTube. Like, that was my mm. first ever song. And it's about a, me and my story. Like, that's. So it was a good outfit. So now I just kept doing it. Like I like making music. And then to be honest, the last six months, I've thought, fuck, I, I can't walk into a normal job. I can't get a normal job because these kinds of like, fuck, you follow from the news. There's some, I've had luck. There's the aftermath of the four Yeah, like I've story. had some luck where I get some good cunts that are like going down a similar, similar path and they might own their business and they're like, yeah, we'll give you a crack, bro, and whatnot. But then you get the followers that are stuck. I've never had to be through shit like us. And they're like, you're not working at my place. You got the media, you got this, you got that. So I thought, I don't want to be rich. I don't care about heap, having heaps of money, but I can't, I want to live comfortable. I don't want to be stressing about my bills every week. I just want to be doing stuff like that. So I'm like, fuck. And I also want to be able to keep using my, my my platform, using my story and talking by telling it straight from me. Like, not all podcasts, not all things are where you can come in here and have a general conversation. Like there's two people huh. that are fucking, that have been through the same sort of stuff and pretty much just having a general conversation where we're trying to teach other people and educate mm. other people. It's normally where you have someone else on a podcast and they're just trying to do this big podcast because they've got this big flash area and they've never been through it and they're trying to sit there and get you to say what they want to try and push their things out. And it's mm. like, fuck, and I had a whole lot of that when I first got out and I was like, fuck it. That's why I've cut back on doing podcasts, doing public speaking, unless I know them, unless I trust them, unless I'm going, mm. I've seen what they're doing, I'm just not doing it. So when every time I get those random ones pop up, I'm like, nah, you're out, So a lot of people want to throw you under the bus, eh? That's it, I've realised. I, I find that. I've got these. I do a post and they go, oh, what about the room? 
How about the remorse you feel for the victims? I go, you know, do you know anything about remorse? Remorse ain't fucking words. Yeah. Remorse ain't saying sorry. Remorse is actually an action. And when we're not doing the old things we're not, we used to do, we're it's, being remorseful. Exactly. Like anyone that knows that fuck. I'm remorseful to the father that, that I and took the man. I'm remorseful to the people that have had to see me getting assaulted by the police as well. And that has, are probably going to be just as traumatized and that is what they are going to see me swearing at a police officer in public. But other, like, what are they always quick to jump? on and like trying to judge our feelings judging our emotions about how we feel about our crimes or how about how we feel about things like there's some things that are done that's against the law that fuck I've got no remorse for I'm not sorry but for you know what a lot of these people you ought to be remorseful of the abusers that abuse you yeah. that's what that's the some of the you can tell they go oh the fact that you were abused and that is no justification for you getting into trouble fuck it ain't yeah, like I like all these people say I've got no remorse and this and that I've jumped up in a royal commission admitted to throwing piss on urine on officers spitting on officers abusing officers saying shit about their families what not and I said sorry for it. I wrote a fucking whole letter and said sorry to all these officers, the same officers that choked me, bashed me, did that. I messaged Ben Keller and said, and tried having a conversation and he said if I went and went to his gym and seen him, he'd stab me if I ever rocked up down there and he'd take me out for a quiet dinner. And I told him, I said, but, and he was telling me that he grew up the same way as me and this and that. And he's from the streets and that too. And I said, I said, if I said if that's how it is, I said, let's have a charity fight now and we'll shake hands. Even if you knock me out and drop me, I'll shake your hand and we can get past that. As you were saying from the streets, I said, isn't that how, how shit happens between two fellas? He still wouldn't do it. That's something that I was trying to get happening. The people like Ben Keller, they jump in the ring and they say, i got no remorse. I said, sorry already, but how about we shake hands and... How about we have a little go in charity boxing match and I'll shake your hand whether I win or lose. Mm. I'm not going to lie, I'll probably jump in the boxing ring and probably put me out but the fact mm. of it is I'll get up and be like that's it now I can let it go we've shaken hands after it unless he wants to sit around and unless Ben Keller Conan Zamala and some fellas like that want to jump on a podcast table like this with me and sit around and have a proper conversation and put it out for the public to, to talk about it in an honest open discussion which I know those boys they're not going to be like that and sit there they're not going to be able to sit down like us have room and be like fuck and our mistakes and be like fuck we shouldn't have robbed that bank fuck I shouldn't have spat on this officer these guys are going to sit there and be like I didn't do anything wrong. You swore at me. That's why I blocked your camera. Like mm. they're real. They're really. That's the, the crazy part about it all is, and that's what I found, and I found through my time, for many years about my abuse. What it's uh, what they did initially was they justified it, and then stopped me from talking about it. Yeah. When they justified it, and then they got the backing of the government and the backing of the people who run the prisons and the boys' homes and that. It just shuts you out. Yes, yeah, exactly. Just stops you from talking. It goes, okay, I won't fucking talk about it because they're saying it was warranted. They're the law. They're the authorities. They run the fucking show. And the more I play up about it, the more therapy and the more trauma I'm going to get. Mm. And that's just how it goes down. That's how it goes down. But I think the importance about you talking about it today and me talking about it today makes that because we get the public support behind us and go, no, that don't justify it. Yeah, well, that's 100, exactly what you said. To be honest, there was a long time until, the, until this documentary and everything, the Four Corners stuff came out, I, I became accustomed to what I was going through. The, to be honest, I became accustomed in my own mind as a kid that what I was going through, I started believing that I was that's, that was punishments for when I swore at officers. I started believing that. You normalised it. I became a normal to it to the point where I gave up going to the police and I stopped calling old buns. I stopped calling, yeah, I'd tell my lawyers, it'd be like, this happened to me. But I started feeling in my head, which is why I wasn't, I was hurt, I was scared, I was sad, I was I was angry, but I wasn't like, fuck, why are they doing it to me? I was like, okay, I just saw it, man. I know why, it's done, why I'm getting it done, but like, 
I didn't really realize that they weren't supposed to be doing it. I didn't know that they were supposed to be doing it, but because nothing was getting done when I was making complaints, so I could come used to it. I was like, okay, I just kicked my door late at night. And yeah, that's why I'm getting dragged down the back and chucked in the back cells because I kicked my door a bit loud or like mm. just become a normal thing. That's what's supposed to happen kid, in jail. And like kid. they show that type of shit on like movies that the officers are hard and thing like in jail shows with the things and then they just as a young kid I thought that because that's what they do in adult jails and yeah, shit like that, that, that they're allowed to do that to us in the juvenile centre and shit like that and it just became a, it was it was bro it was a normal thing like now realistically when the police grab me and restrain me like uh, it doesn't talk, hurt. Yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt physically. Yeah. But mentally, it triggers me into a thing where, like, when I come face to face with officers and that, like, I, I, don't, I don't hate all police. They don't, like, I don't I'm like sorry. them. They're not my friends, but I hate the cunts that walk past you. <laughs> well, I'll give you a ticket for being, for walking. I'll give you this and try and be smart cunts because it triggers me into thinking you're trying to come and bully me, stand over me. If you're an officer, just walks up and says, excuse me, if they, if they need to talk to you, excuse me, mate, can you just stop there for a while? And, you know, and use it their time and just talk to you like a human being. I'll stop and give you my idea, whatever I have to fucking do. I'm not here to be your friend, but I'm not here to be a smart cunt and try and get myself arrested on, and or get you in bad books. But it's just, they paint it like I hate them all. It's like they all hate me now because they think that I hate them because I've been making complaints about them. You just do your fucking job and just let me be but a person. But they condition you. So you just do your job and let me just be a fucking normal person in part of the community and let me go about my business. Don't come and try and knock on my house every fucking couple of days because you want to see if I'm here or see if this or harass me or come here for this or do this and do that. It's just annoying. But you're, I'm going to have to finish on this, but you're a traumatised kid and you act out. And they want to punish you and bash you with the same thing they traumatized you with. Yeah. It's, and then when you react in that way, you're gone. I think, to be honest, I think that's realistically, I've been watching this one show real quick and I recommend everyone go and watch it, especially, yeah. The Tupac, there's a new documentary on Disney, it's Dear Mama. It's Tupac and it goes all into the Afeni trial, Afeni and Tupac's life of with mm. the criminal history and how much the, the system, even Tupac as a young person come from a disadvantaged person that was going against what they wanted the system wanted him to be a black man that went to selling drugs and being a pimp and doing mm. all of that he was defying that and trying to do the complete opposite go to art school and go and do all this go and do all that and empower his people so the fact that all the system was literally going after him and just fucking trying to hammer him they sent him as danger all the, yeah pretty much all these different fucking false allegations the police when he jumped out and, and he was fucking literally standing up for himself like he had a little bit of backing and one he had his lawyers but he was standing up for himself and his mum he's like being a believing in himself going into court and telling them like fuck that like they had their guns like, yeah I shot him saying shit like that like, like just straight up believing in himself and fighting for him and he ended up fucking walking out of all those court cases walking out of it doing his jail sentences coming out being like and his message now after he's gone is more important than when he was here mm. he's left a bigger legacy behind him that's What's changing you, people on, on, on a finishing note What's your message going to be, Dylan? But just that, to be honest, my, I don't want people to look at me like I was some perfect person that's come and made a change and this and that, but I also don't want to see me as what the media is paying me. I'm not no violent person. I just want to leave the message behind, behind once I'm gone that people can look up to that that it might take time, but to look and take your self-belief and take your self-worth and Make something of yourself, not to fit in, to make your own direction, make your own path. Fit, so there's no room for fitting in. Embrace self-belief, self-love. It's you important, don't have to eh? be what others want and just to be what you want. 
that's where my mate, and I'll finish on it. That's where the change came for me when I believed that I was worthy and had, I started to love myself and I believed that I could do anything. And so, Dylan Volan, man, always good to have you. I, I love having you because everything you talk about, as you were talking about everything you went through, I'm playing a video in my mind about certain things that happened to me and how I reacted and how I behaved. And, and I'd like to think I'm a long way away from that today. And I think I like long healed and man, I. I love your journey, Dylan. I'm really proud of what you're doing now. Yeah. Gives me a lot of satisfaction seeing that kicking a few guys. Unfortunately, mate, hopefully in time, man, these coppers will just fucking leave you alone and give you a break and, and you can fucking shine, yeah, shine right. with your music. Yeah, hopefully. That's the goal, you know, is to try and get away from the system and try and break into the music system. But, mate. yeah, on that too, thanks for having me. And as, as a young brother that's been through this, gone through the system, it's always good watching what you've been doing and Jeffrey and all the fellas that are doing mm. to try and make a better lifestyle choices and giving some stuff for us to watch and look up to to be able to help us make better decisions and learn from the mistakes that even all you guys have made that even us that are still down here like I haven't done some of those mm. more hectic things but there's been times that I've looked yeah. at being like fuck I need money I might go and rob a bank or rob this but like <laughs> looking no, nah, but watching the older fellas and yeah. like how you've gone through a bit and talked about how it might have been easy money and stuff like that at the it's time not. but the regrets of it of and shit like that is teaching all these young fellas out there like the work ethic like the work ethic thing about things, they can see that going and working for it is a whole lot better than that fast mm. cut, that fast cash options and stuff like that and just the input for, especially around here in New South Wales and a little more, it's completely different to the Northern Territory but you're getting a lot of input and a lot of people taking a whole lot of things away, including myself from you and Jeffrey and even this, the, those things about the self-belief was the most important things that I took away. There's a lot of times that I'm pretty sure many have had a message and you've always gave that, that same sort of advice has always been from you is that you got to fuck every other cunt and believe in yourself. Mm. And I got that same message literally from you, Maddie, Jeffrey, Big out Joe, to Maddie, Joe. Shannon, Maddie, Floyd. Big out, shout out to Jeff Morgan, Joey Williams, fucking champions, really good friends yeah. of mine, a lot of them. Yeah, definitely. All right, brother. Thanks, Thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate you, Dylan. Yeah.